0: Sweeney, and this is I'm the Gun, episode 55. Rather than the regularly scheduled Shanna Showcase, I'm going to feature this time out a comic that I've been wanting to talk about for a little while. Marvel Super Special number 34 from October 1984. This happens to be an adaptation of the film Sheena. Sheena. Now, Marvel Super Special was a series Marvel put out with a, an uneven regularity beginning in 1977. The title was magazine sized, so larger than the standard comic, printed on higher quality paper, and was pretty much exclusively used as a home for movie adaptations. I've had a couple of these over the years. I remember having the Howard the Duck one, despite never having seen that movie. And I had uh, the labyrinth one, you know, being a huge David Bowie fan, and at one point in my life picking up anything, anything, with his face on it. Uh, but both of these comics are now lost to me, uh, going wherever it is that lost comics go, the island of Island of Lost Comics or something. Those two kind of ended up in my possession somehow, before I knew how to care for my comics for I called whatever I had at the time my collection but the uh, Sheena issue I actually sought out now I generally stay away from film adaptations none of the ones I've ever read or had seem to be particularly well done I'm sure that there are some good ones out there but I never had any like I said this this Sheena issue I, I sought it out based almost solely on the creative team of writer Carrie Burkett and artist Gray Morrow, although I'm sure you can see the thematic link between a Sheena adaptation and a podcast at least partly devoted to Shanna the She-Devil. Sheena was, of course, uh, comic's first jungle queen, and I guess sort of the grandmother of those to come, like Lorna, Jan, and, and of course Shanna. I never saw the movie, Sheena, until earlier this week, when I was preparing for this podcast. I know it has a reputation as a colossal bomb, so when I finally got around to watching it, my expectations were quite low. And I've got to say, I was not disappointed. Sheena starred Tanya Roberts in the title role, and also starred Blossom's dad, Ted Wass, and was directed by John Guermin. Now, this isn't a film review podcast, so I won't be going too much into what made Sheena a bad film. I plan on touching on it only in the way it compares with the adaptation. Maybe some choices that Burkett and Morrow made to help turn a hard-to-watch film into a fairly entertaining comic. Kerry Burkett is a writer whose comics I have enjoyed. He's known for a long run on the Nemesis serial in the back of Brave and the Bold that he did with artist Dan Spiegel. And I have a couple of his Batgirl stories that were in the back of Detective Comics. But my favorite work of his was the occasional feature in the back of Men of War and Unknown Soldier called Dateline Frontline. Front line Frontline was really special. It was a, a war feature, but its lead character wasn't a soldier. It was war correspondent Wayne Clifford, whose job and adventures led him to London, North Africa, Russia, among other places. Burkett gave a real interesting perspective, the, the journalist's perspective of World War II. Unusual, as readers of war comics had been uh, told the stories from the soldiers' point of view in hundreds and hundreds of the stories that DC published. Now, some of the best war stories DC put out were told by guys who had lived it. People like Robert Conagher and Joe Kubert. I don't know this, but I think Carrie Burkett was too young to have lived the life of a World War II correspondent. So I give a lot of credit for dreaming those stories up and lending them a sense of reality that Really let them stand, I think, shoulder to shoulder with those other great D.C. war stories. It helped that Dateline Frontline was drawn by a couple of fantastic artists, and Jerry Grandinetti and Rick Estrada. Really good stuff, and completely forgotten. I don't think much of it has been reprinted. I know there's a Men of War showcase edition, but I'm not sure if it published the backup features as well as the Gravedigger lead stories. At the risk of totally going on on a, on a tangent here, looking back, it's a shame Wayne Clifford wasn't included in DC's Who's Who, the multi-volume profile series that DC put out in the mid-80s. There were like almost 20 or so dateline frontlines, and you'd think that would rate Wayne Clifford even a, a half-page profile. I know there are characters in there that appeared a lot less, and they didn't even have their own feature. Anyway, Gray Morrow drew the Sheena adaptation, and he's one of my favorite artists. I've quested to pick up everything he's ever done for DC Comics, which was quite a bit, though he... His work was kind of scattered all over the place, doing work for their Western line, war stories, uh, did a bunch for the Mystery and Horror line and even did a couple of superhero things. Now, this is the only thing that I have that he did for Marvel. I I love his work. I think think of him as kind of like an anti-Jack Kirby, where Kirby's art is energy unleashed and wild gesture. Morrow's work is much more refined. Sometimes it almost seems repressed. His figures are statuesque, where Kirby's are sometimes grotesque. Sometimes Morrow's action scenes are a little awkward and stiff, but his draftsmanship is impeccable. His men are handsome, his ladies are lovely, and the guy could draw animals, so a Sheena adaptation was a really good fit for him. I've got to say that the only other film adaptation in my collection right now is also drawn by Gray Morrow, and it's the Supergirl film adaptation. I've never read it, nor have I ever seen the movie, but... It is a really nice looking book So as with all other episodes of I'm the Gun I want to get into a little recap of the issue at hand And Again, this isn't a film review But the movie is still fresh in my mind So I may point out a few discrepancies between the comic and the film script Sheena, the film and adaptation was of course based on that old comic character The first of the Jungle Queens Who inspired all the rest Including... Shanna O'Hara. This was not the first time Sheena had been portrayed on film. The, this film was preceded about 30 years prior by a TV series where the Jungle Queen was portrayed by, funny enough, Irish McCalla, a name that is only slightly less interesting than if it were Irish O'Hara. The script on which Carrie Burkett based his adaptation was written by Lorenzo Semple Jr. And the rest of the credits for this issue include Bob Sharon, colorist, Janice Chang, letterer, and Bob Denatale and Danny Fingeroth, editors. The story begins with a prologue. A white missionary couple along with their young daughter investigate the healing earth of the Zambouli tribe who lives near the fictional African nation of Tigora. In the company of the Zambouli tribe, the Family, the Ameses witness a tribesman being pulled from where he was buried up to his neck in in dirt. A man had apparently been covered in tumors, but now was fit as a fiddle after spending some some amount of time exposed to the to the healing powers of of this dirt, wanting to further investigate the origins of this magic dirt, the Ames parents enter a cavernous mine unknowingly followed by their daughter Janet, who's not much older, not much more than a toddler. When Mrs. Ames turns to discover Janet at the mouth of the cave, her shout, the shout of the name Janet, causes the roof to collapse, killing both her and her husband. The orphan child is discovered by the tribe, whose shaman, a woman attended by a leopard, conveniently recalls the... Prophecy of a golden-haired child who would grow to be protector of the Zambuli and all the creatures of the jungle And the child is held aloft and rechristened Sheena So a, uh, a growing and training montage follows, nicely paced and filling only two pages Where we see the young Sheena learning from the shame and the skill of holding one's hands to their head In order to communicate telepathically with animals Josol learns to ride a zebra barebacked and to shoot an accurate arrow. This sequence gives us the opportunity to see a nicely drawn variety of animals, a lion, a water buffalo, a chimp. And in Tigora's capital city, Azan, we meet second in line to the throne, Prince Atwani, who also happens to be a star place kicker in the NFL. I think it's purposely obscured which team he plays for in the movie, Uh, but we clearly see, as drawn by Morrow, that Atwani kicks for the Washington Redskins, at least that's what they were called back then. Apparently, Atwani has some plans for the kingdom that don't include his brother, the current king. The nearby mountain Gujara is apparently busting with titanium the only problem being that the mountain is on Zambuli land, which is currently under the protection of the, of the Good King. Atwani plans to have his brother killed, clearing the way for a big mining operation. Elsewhere, the Zambuli shaman and a grown Sheena make their way to the city. The shaman stops Sheena at the edge of Zambuli land, wanting to proceed alone. She's had a vision of the king's danger and wants to personally warn him. At the airport, a plane touches down carrying American sports reporter Vic Casey and his cameraman, Fletch. They're in Tagore to do a story on on the prince of a place-kicker. They're met by the prince and also the king who's accompanied by his fiancée, Countess Zanda. Now, Burkett, I see now, wisely cuts trims down the scene that introduces Vic and Fletch in the movie. On film, when we first meet them, they're in the plane, still in the air, and from way up in the sky, Fletch apparently sees a blonde girl riding a zebra and has a hard time convincing Vic that he's not hallucinating. Cutting that out really provides a, a bigger payoff, I think, when both men first do see Sheena later on in the comic. Her entrance packs, I think, a bigger punch coming out of nowhere than as a possible figment of Fletch's imagination. In the city, the shaman is stopped by a police officer and taken into custody. While somewhere in the palace, Atwani meets with, with Countess Zanda, king's fiance, who we learn is in cahoots with the prince, and it's both of them who are planning to murder the king. The arrival of the shaman has actually given them a scapegoat as the method of execution will be an arrow fired from a crossbow high in a tree, but they're going to plant a stolen Zambuli bow. This scene is also a little different in the movie. As Atwani meets Zanda, she's getting a massage. Here in the comic, she's brushing her hair, though in a very fetching see-through nighty. From her prison, the shaman calls out telepathically to Sheena for help while at a palace dinner, Vic and Fletch record the occasion. Just as the king raises his glass and toast, a tree-planted crossbow fires an arrow into the king's back, killing him. In the film, he's shot in the chest. Can't really put my finger on the artistic angle for changing this. Maybe it's just easier to draw. Him getting shot in the back. Some police conveniently parade out the Zambuli shaman and Atwani sentences her to death. While reviewing footage of the event, later on, Vic and Fletch discover the planted crossbow and go to interview the shaman in jail. Despite some reservations from the cowardly Fletch, who is kind of like the comic relief of the picture. Before they even try getting into the jail, they hear a noise and BOOM! Out from the jungle bursts Sheena riding a zebra followed by an elephant. It's this scene that I think gains impact without a previous mention of Sheena between the Americans. This whole jailbreak scene, I'd say, looks better on the comic page than it does in the movie. Despite what must have been some terrific animal training, uh, just the limits of special effects at the time can't pull off as convincingly the action of an elephant smashing its head through a jail wall. Vic manages to help out by clocking a guard who is about to shoot Sheena but he can only stare as Sheena makes off with the shaman and her animals. While Vic and Fletch drive off after their after their story, and the girl, Atwani hears of the breakout and assembles a team of mercenaries under the leadership of a Colonel Jor- Jorgensen to hunt down the shaman and the trouble she'd cause if Vic were able to record her story. After chasing Sheena through the jungle, Vic and Fletch find themselves surrounded by hungry-looking lions who are merely setting the table for the arrival of Sheena. The injuries the shaman suffered at the hands of the prison guards were just too much, and she had died in Sheena's arms. But distrustful of the strangers, she doesn't mention this to Vic despite his apparent willingness to help their cause and his insistence on speaking with the shaman. Fletch offers to return to the city and ship off the incriminating film they've already got, while Vic stays on to interview the shaman, but just then, they're attacked by the army of mercenaries. Fletch just manages to escape in their old land rover, and Vic and Sheena are chased into the jungle. On the run for several days, Vic and Sheena make their way toward what Sheena assumes is protected Zambuli land on horseback. I mean, on zebra back. And the two begin to fall in love. Mercifully, a lot of this is conveyed in a half-page montage where the reader is spared a ton of corny dialogue. Now, I'll say this for the movie. It's mostly very beautifully photographed. The nature photography is great. And the cost of location shooting was, was well worth it. But this certified bomb, and certified by my Bible of movie reviews, The Leonard Maltin Guide, was a good script and a few acting classes away from being a pretty decent movie. The raw material was there, Tanya Roberts looked the part, but, well, apart from a couple of choice scenes where she didn't need much more than what Mother Nature gave her, if you know what I mean, she came across as a little overmatched in the role. And Blossom's dad, Ted Wass, and the guy playing Fletch, they were game, but they could only do their best with what they were given, and the script was a turkey. Anyway, Sheena and Vic continue to be pursued by Jorgensen, but decide to go on the offensive. They send a flaming arrow into the fuel truck of the convoy, but all that really does is annoy Jorgensen and Atwani, who sends in a helicopter to mow the pair down. Once the helicopter opens fire on a herd of Sheena's animal friends, the two are forced to surrender. While Sheena is led away in chains, Vic makes a deal. The prince signs a treaty of independence with the Zambuli, and Vic will hand over the film. Atwani agrees, but makes it plain to his underlings that Vic is to be killed once they have the film. Just then, even Atwani is surprised that Countess Zanda, a jealous Countess Zanda, has kidnapped Sheena in a helicopter and plans to make a big display out of shoving her over a great waterfall. A seemingly helpless Sheena touches her head and telepathically summons a flock of flamingos, which overtakes the helicopter, making it impossible to fly. In the commotion, it's Zanda who ends up taking the fatal dive over the fall, and the helicopter crashes just after Sheena manages to jump out. Now, just a note here about Gray Morrow's depictions of the movie actors. Most of the likenesses are dead on. Ted Was looks just like Blossom's dad. Fletch, Atwani, the Shaman, just about everyone Everyone but Sheena herself, which is strange. Only in a couple of panels would I say that Sheena resembles Tanya Roberts. It's kind of weird. Jorgensen is a perfect portrait of the actor playing him, but Mauro adds a beret, which is nowhere in the film. And the helicopter pilot is just someone else entirely. Now, The pilot isn't a big role. It is significant, though, especially right here at the flamingo attack scene. He gets a lot of face time, in the film as his eyes are pretty much scratched out. The pilot in the comics is just a totally different mustachioed dude who merely gets his sunglasses knocked away. It's kind of strange, like Maru only watched half the movie or something. It makes me wonder about the process of these adaptations, whether creative teams are given full access to advanced screenings, or maybe just stills in a script. Anyway, Sheena's daring escape is witnessed by the assembled Zambuli people, and she rallies her tribe to take on the mercenaries. She telepathically enlists several animals as well, and Sheena's assembled army engages in guerrilla warfare, striking at Jorgensen and his men from all sides. Meanwhile, Vic, who had no intention of leading Atwani's men to the film, takes care of his captors and commandeers their vehicle, making his way back to Sheena. Back at Sheena's route, Prince Atwani appears to be the only survivor. Jorgensen's pretty brutal death scene is omitted from the comic. Atwani hops into a truck and tries to escape, but Sheena pursues on Zebrabeck. She fires arrows at the truck, which is having engine trouble, making it a fair race. And uh, Burkett puts a poetic spin on this. He writes, The Engine begins to spit and cough, the very dust of this sacred land arising to choke his carburetor and slow his flight. Atwani takes some pot shots at Sheena, and when he lands a lucky shoulder shot, he turns the truck around, prepared to run her down. Sheena manages to get off one last arrow, which finds its mark and probably kills Atwani, but that doesn't change the hurtling truck's course. Hugh Vic Casey, who's been making his way across the plane. He slams the truck he's been driving into Atwani's vehicle, but this causes an explosion. Atwani is completely forgotten, but Vic emerges, his body on fire. Sheena rushes to his aid, and Vic has some last words for his love, though Burkett leaves out the funniest line of the movie, the funniest intentional line. The burnt Vic says something about burns and how there's no pain, and despite his head being clear as a bell, all he can think to say is, shit. In the comic, it's, I've had it, baby. Shanna disagrees, and in an epilogue, Fletch finally catches up to the action to find his buddy neck deep in the healing earth. He's pulled out without a scratch on him, and all that's left is to say goodbye. He records his last conversation with Sheena, explaining to her that he he can't take her back. Civilization would kill her. And we hear, with Vic aboard his plane back to the civilized world, the end of that recording. And an, an interesting choice to change dialogue when Vic asks Sheena to repeat what she had just said. Instead of saying, I love you, like she does in the film, Burkitt's Sheena says, you are my man. This wasn't necessarily edited, like a lot of the changes Burkett made, which helped the script. This was an outright swapping out of words, which I guess puts a different spin on their relationship, making it seem, I don't know, more primitive. But I suppose the sentiment is the same. And that's it. A couple of different articles about the making of the film close out this extra-sized issue. There's a Tanya Roberts spotlight, an interview with the movie's producer, and a talk with the animal trainer, all accompanied by photos from the set. So a nice little package for a $2.50 cover price. For my money, the comic was a more enjoyable entertainment experience than the movie, though, though the film had more unintentionally laugh-out-loud moments. Again, I think it was the work of a talented writer and a Hall of Fame caliber artist to condense an unwieldy film script which, you know, really, there were stretches of the film where nothing seemed to happen. Clunky dialogue and endless chase scenes that Burkett and Morrow, this all got all got boiled down to produce at least a decent action-adventure. When you've got a couple of minutes in an adventure film where nothing happens, that's that's the kiss of death. This issue eventually got chopped up into two standard bi-monthly comics. I'm not sure if those were as successful uh, on the lower quality paper and you know, having to wait two months to find out what happens. If anyone listening to this read any of Marvel's movie adaptations that way, you know in two or three monthly or bi-monthly installments, I'd be curious to know what that experience is like. I'm also waiting to hear from anyone who listened to my episode about First Comics please let me know which comic holds that honor in your collection. In my case, it's Supervillain Classics No. 1, The Origin of Galactus. You can find that episode in episodes of Shanna Showcase and Reboot Review, my look back at stories of the rebooted Legion of Superheroes stories beginning in the 1990s. You can find those on my blog, imthegun.blogspot.com. There I'll be posting some images from this issue, so check those out there. You can also find previous episodes on iTunes. You can email me at imgun at gmail.com or read my tweets. Just look at for at Mark Sweeney Jr. Alright, the regularly scheduled Shanna Showcase should return in about two weeks, so until then, see you on the Savannah.